Move, counter move, detect, prevent, and defense. Being a CISO is like waging a never-ending chess game against players you don't know, can't see, and attack without warning. On this podcast, cybersecurity experts from Zscaler's Office of the CISO have a pragmatic dialogue on cyber risks, current attacks, and security trends. Welcome to the CISO's Gambit. Hi. Thanks for joining us today for our first episode of CISO's Gambit. My name is Danny Conley, CISO for Zscaler, Americas, and the public sector. Joining me today is Brad Moldenhauer, who is also a Zscaler CISO for the Americas. Before we begin, Brad, could you give us a little background on the name CISO's Gambit? You know, this is something that, um, you know, we've been given some thought to um, for quite some time, really. You know, we, um, we, we're, we're, you know, the Zscaler's office of the CISO. Um, we have, you know, four of us on the current roster and we're globally distributed. And, you know, we're constantly engaged in all kinds of various thought leadership platforms. So we said, you know, why not? you know, leverage what we've got within our ranks and come up with, you know, something that, you know, a, a dialogue between, you know, various members of that team on, you know, um, uh, relevant uh, events of interest. So I would say that the CISO's Gambit, first of all, the name, right? You know, I was watching, uh, you know, the Queen's Gambit on Netflix and I just, I kind of got interested in it. So I looked into it a little bit further and it makes a lot of sense when you think about it, because a gambit is an action, typically one entailing a degree of risk that is calculated to gain an advantage, right? And so when you think of the perfect storm of risk, right? You've got threats that exploit vulnerabilities, that expose assets to a loss of confidentiality, integrity, and availability, which cause business impacts that are mitigated by controls, which protect against, that's right, threats. So you get that perfect storm of risk that CISOs need to deal with. So what we figured was we would come up with a podcast whose intent is to have pragmatic cyber risk dialogue with practitioners such as all of us. And, you know, topics could span, you know, many technical and non-technical aspects of cyber risk, cybersecurity, privacy, and even transformational change management. So we're going to delve routinely into themes involving the role of the CISO as a thought leader and a change agent. But I think that the real focus that we'll have will be on risks that we have today and those on the horizon and discussing the maneuvering and efforts we need to take to deliver business value and outcomes to not only lower risk, but flatten the total cost of controls and reduce control friction on user experience and business velocity. Thanks, Brad. As IT continues to evolve year after year at a record-breaking pace, Threat actors are evolving just as fast. 2020 was a record year for major breaches, and 2021 will be even worse, in my opinion. This episode focuses on our experiences as we shifted to support the pandemic, the remote workforce, and the significant threats we were facing. Brad, can you tell us a little bit, uh, kind of give us some background on your experiences uh, as uh, COVID hit and uh, what you're observing? and kind of your strategic approach to respond to those significant threats we were facing. Yeah, well, you know, let's, you know, I think you and I more than most know how uncanny malicious actors can be. When, you know, COVID broke, 
obviously attacks were going to, you know, pick up and target, you know, the remote user, right? And not just that, but um, public cloud infrastructures, they knew organizations were saying, okay, hey, look, we are not going to be able to stay in business with the way that we are architected today. Let's go ahead and go full hog into that Office 365 tenant that we, you know, paid for a couple of years ago during one of our renewals. Well, in doing so, um, we, we know one of the biggest vulnerabilities with any of those, um, you know, SaaS or IS um, instantiations is, you know, the the misconfigurations that can happen, especially when you're doing a, you know, a lift and shift and not focusing on all the potential risks associated with that. So, yeah, I mean, that's where I think we saw a lot of these attacks pick up uh, particularly. Yeah. And, and uh, kind of what it was like when COVID first hit. Um, you know, we, we immediately saw, um, you know, January 20th is when CDC operationalized its emergency operations center, right? Mm-hmm. So immediately we started seeing an increased inbound attacks and, and just, I mean, legitimate network activity, right? But then a significant increase in attacks as well as, like you said, nothing new. You know, the traditional phishing, mm-hmm. business email, compromise attacks, things of that nature, um, web app exploits, um, you know, SQL injection scanning all day, every day. Uh, but but the volume. Yeah. Yeah. Significantly, significantly increased. We also had to, um, you know, add to our, our VPN stack to be able to support remote work. So that that together combined with the significant increase in volume of all attack vectors um, is overwhelming. So, but going back to that inbound listener, right? That, that was one of our biggest uh, risks as yeah. well, at least, um, you know, Pulse Secure VPN was uh, compromised by nation state threat actors. Many type of those remote access services like that really had been compromised in the past and we knew you know, with Netscaler, there were some significant vulnerabilities in de- December um, uh, 2019 that we, you know, patched immediately. So we knew our, our risk wasn't there, but it just takes one, right? And and just because there's not a vulnerability published, that doesn't mean there isn't an exploitable vulnerability there, right? So that that was definitely one of our biggest fears, those, those advanced attackers being able to get to our internal resources is through our NetScaler VPN appliance. But um, go, going back to kind of that, did, would you say that I expedited your ZPA implementation? Yeah, I, so I had an incident. Um, I, luckily, it didn't you know result in anything adverse for our our organization. But um, it was it was a highly publicized um, you know zero day for Cisco ASA. I would say back in you know, 2019 may or no 2018, I would say. And the issue that I had with it was it was like, you know, Cisco released an update immediately. I'll give them that. But we you just can't deploy that. I, I mean, we right. needed to test that out to make sure there was no other kind of operational impact. And before you know it, once we had done an emergency change request with all the results of that testing, I mean, we're talking about 30 to 40 days later. That's 30 or 40 days where we had a zero day exposure open in the wild on three uh, public interfaces, again, spread across three continents. And 
I'll tell you, that was a very, very difficult risk to accept. And it just kind of fed, you know, into the notion that, hey, there needs to be a better way. We um, essentially have, yeah. Like that, that could be exploited from the internet, like from outside. Right, right. I, I just, I, I, I said, you know, part of me says, okay, there is this need to modernize because let's face it, VPN is, is 30 year old technology. Okay. Yeah. I mean, there's been <laughs> a couple of advents in it, you know, it wasn't, you know, okay. uh, eventually we introduced SSL VPN over just basic network IPsec VPN, but, but still the fact that something like that was happening and continuously happening. Um, yeah. I mean, that, that really kind of moved the needles to modernization and just to find a better way to do it. And, you know, obviously zero trust has been around a while, but my thoughts with that was, uh, you know, we're just not ready for that. Like say like 10, you know, five years ago, even, but you know, a couple of years ago, I, I felt that the technology space had finally caught up to the theory. Right. And we could, you know, pragmatically implement a zero trust solution. And Hey, we had already been using Zscaler internet access and we had that uh, Zscaler client connector deployed anywhere. It's a no brainer. It's like, okay, I can move to zero trust, uh, you know, in theory, and you don't have to deploy any endpoint software. So yeah, yeah, that was just, it was a no brainer. So, so you, know, you, you were, it sounded like you, you were in the middle of your testing phase, kind of around that March timeframe when, when everything first hit. Yeah, 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 we were. So I, like I said, I would call it more of an initial release where everyone in IT was on ZPA, you know, because we are going to generally have a good vantage point of all the applications that we're supporting under our purview, you know, that are in both our, our public and private clouds. So we figured that that would be um, a really good first step. But then from there, it was like, okay, let's grab, um, you know, heavy users within marketing, within accounting, within HR, within practice practice support and all of our other lines of business. So we were at that point where we had a couple of these stakeholders within our cloud center of excellence that was starting to test these applications over this new connectivity model. To looking at NIST 800-207, right? It gives it really seven tenets of zero trust, yeah. uh, zero trust uh, architecture, right? And it is meant to be an, an improvement, right? It doesn't happen overnight. It, there's no such thing as an easy implementation when it comes to getting to going from a wide open, you know, environment to a completely isolated default deny, least privileged zero trust architecture. It ain't going to happen. Right? right. But you could leverage things like ZCO, like ZPA that, that makes it easy for you. Right. It makes it easier. Mm -hmm. to get there. Sure, you don't know all the, the applications in use and, and what the actual users need, but it gives you a framework. And as long as you have good processes and procedures behind the scenes, it, it, it's achievable. You know, when you implement a zero trust solution, as a lot of organizations have done, you know, post COVID, um, look, at first, you really are going to mirror the open connectivity you see with an IPsec or SSL VPN. You absolutely are. But that's where the whole application discovery piece is critical. Uh, look, I can tell you, when we started doing our application discovery, I found about seven or eight servers that I had no idea what they were. And do you want to know why I didn't know about them the first five or, or four or five years of my tenure? It's because they were fully patched and they didn't show up in any kind of vulnerability scanning results. And uh, 
you know, so that means that they were being managed in an automated manner. But, you know, as I started identifying these within our uh, ZPA application discovery, I started going back to stakeholders. You know, we were logging into them like, who logs into this? And we would find it would be a few users in a specific line of business. Like, you know, one, one server was essentially a file repository that our marketing group was using. Come to find out, long story short, after talking with them, it was being used for the same purposes that we had a SaaS application for. So it was entirely duplicative, but we never knew about it because it was being managed by an automated solution. Patches were up to date and we just, you know, we it, it never raised any flags with any of the other continuous risk monitoring activities we were doing. So, um, you know, that, you know, kind of what my point is here is that, yeah, you're gonna have, um, you know, phases of how you actually implement zero trust, right? And I, I mean, look, I think we've all worked in organizations where we're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, let me get this straight. You need, you mean to tell me I need to know what every user needs to have access to? I don't care where you work. That's a pretty big lift, right? Oh, yeah, that's, why, that's why that application discovery is critical. Well, yeah. this was a great discussion. Thanks, uh, Brad. It's always good talking to you. And um, and since I talk to you every day, I, I... <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, I'm looking forward to the next one of these episodes. I, I think this is going to be uh, really beneficial, not only for us to, you know, kind of share our experiences and get our thoughts out there, but, you know, collaborate uh, further internally, not with just you and I, but also our uh, our EMEA counterparts, uh, because uh, that, that's the unique thing about Zscaler's Office of the CISO. We are a, uh, a global bunch, so we've got uh, unique perspectives and we're all seeing different things. Thanks for listening to the CISO's Gambit. Check back with your podcast provider regularly for more episodes. You can find Brad, Danny, Mark, and Nicola on the CXO Revolutionaries website at revolutionaries.zscaler.com or on LinkedIn. Statements by Zscaler podcasters and guests are informational only and should never be construed as legal advice. You should consult with your legal advisor on matters related to you or your business. Zscaler makes no warranties, express, implied, or statutory as to the content of this podcast, and it is provided as is. Content on this podcast may contain forward-looking statements that are current as of the date of recording and subject to change. These statements are subject to the safe harbor provisions created by the Private Securities Litigation Reform Act of 1995. Full legal disclaimers are available at revolutionaries.zscaler.com. Copyright 2021.